Computer, initialize Holosuite. Hello, everyone, and a warm welcome back to the Sci-Fi Feminist Podcast. Today, I'm going to do a very special episode about the Black Widow movie that just recently came out. I'll be talking about some of the main themes in the film, how the film deals with the issue of women and how the film treats women, and also how some of the female characters are represented in general. So I hope you look forward to today's episode and to a very interesting discussion. So without further ado, let's get into today's discussion of the Black Widow. First things first, what did I think of the movie? Well, I thought it was very entertaining, it was very exciting, there was some awesome and kick-ass fighting scenes, some nice car chase scenes that I thoroughly enjoyed, and of course I'm a big fan of Scarlett Johansson as well. What a wonderful actress and what a good job she did to portray the Black Widow. I I have been a fan of the Black Widow for quite some time. She was always uh, one of my favorite Avengers and especially one of my favorite female Avengers. And I was, of course, devastated when that thing happened in Endgame. I, I'm sure everyone has watched Endgame by this point, but she kind of sacrifices herself in Endgame and she dies. And I cried a lot during that uh scene. So I was so happy that a few years later, then they decided to release the Black Widow movie, which is the topic of today's discussion. So let's first look about some of the main themes that are explored in the movie. For me, probably the biggest theme that stood out is the control of the female body. So of course, this podcast is full of spoilers. So uh, I'm not even going to mark the spoilers because there are so many spoilers. But basically the synopsis is that there is this uh, man in power and usually we see that it's a white older male. <laughs> I recently wrote a blog post about the X-Files uh, in which I also noted that many of the people in power are white, old white men. So um, we see that same thing in Black Widow. And what he has done is he kind of uses some mind control technique to control the Black Widows, which is basically an army of female assassins. So he would kind of adopt the girls or steal them from their parents when they're very young. And then he trains them and they become a Black Widow, which is an assassin. And of course, Natasha Romanoff, or the Black Widow, she was also one of them, but she managed to escape earlier when she joined the Avengers. But then the movie starts where her little sister, obviously not her biological sister, but an adopted sister that also went through this assassin's program, uh, where there is this, uh, how can I, what can I call it? This kind of serum or powder that when they inhale it, their their mind control is broken. So they are no longer controlled by this guy. So she realizes that there's a mind control happening. And so she contacts the Black Widow and then they take the guy down together. So that is the main synopsis of the film. So one thing that really stood out for me is the control of the female body and also the control of female sexuality. Now, I know radical feminism 
it's long gone, <laughs> or I wouldn't say long gone, but it was more a 1970s thing. But basically, I, I found a lot of parallels between what radical feminists argued, what they wanted for women in terms of reproductive rights, women's control over their own bodies, and also an article that I read about Alien, the Alien films. I, of course, I'm a, I'm a big sci-fi f- fan, so I will be talking about some other sci-fi franchises, as you have noticed, uh, up to now, listening to the podcast episodes, I always tend to go back to Ellen Ripley or Captain Janeway or Sarah Connor because they were really these, I think, the archetypes for female heroism that we see today. But control over the female body was very much a radical feminist issue. So radical feminists in the 70s, they argued for women to have reproductive rights and also technology to control their reproduction. So a bit of feminist history, in the 1960s, there was a lot of housewives (laughs) and they would have like four children by the age of like 23 or 25, which is basically, I'm 27 now. So that's like me having five children by now, which is absolutely unimaginable. (laughs) So this became a feminist issue in the 60s. Um, Women didn't really have contraceptives and they were not really rights over women's bodies uh, regarding abortion too that was completely illegal and a big taboo and if you've watched Mrs. America you will see that actually uh, they had to do it like in back alleys and illegal abortions and obviously it's sometimes very dangerous abortions too so the control over women's bodies is a very pertinent issue for 1970s feminism and i think still for feminism if we look at the whole free britney thing um there is still a lot of debates about you know the control that women have over their own bodies over their own destinies over their own Uh, reproductive capacities. Obviously, the situation has improved quite a lot, but there's many instances where, or many uh, geographical locations where some women still get forced sterilization, all these types of things. Abortion is still an issue. (laughs) So, um, you know, it's definitely far from being resolved. And I think that this film actually very pertinently addressed some of these issues. So, like I mentioned, uh, I'm just briefly going to mention this, but if you've watched the Alien films, one theorist, I forgot their names, but they argued that basically the Alien films is the story of how Ellen Ripley takes control over her, her own reproduction and her own body. So... In the third alien, she kind of becomes... uh, Okay, so if we look at aliens... uh, Sorry, before I go on to Alien 3, the second alien movie in Aliens, uh, there's this one scene where this, again, a white male (laughs) tries to forcibly impregnate Ripley with a xenomorph so that he can sneak it into her body back to Earth, like, without going into quarantine. So... That's the first instance where we see forced reproduction, you know, uh, forced upon Ripley, even though it's it's not reproduction of a child, but an alien. That's the first instance where we see it. And then, obviously, in the third movie, if you've watched Alien, she is uh, she's the mother of an alien queen that kind of uh, I'm 
using quotation marks, uh, rapes Ripley. So the alien, without her knowing, while she's sleeping, plants an egg inside of her, and then she actually dies in the end, <laughs> carrying the alien queen. And then in Alien Resurrection, the fourth Alien movie, she is resurrected, and then once again, white male scientists, they force her to to be the host or the womb for the alien queen that they made through science. So if you haven't watched Alien, then <laughs> ignore all of this. But what I'm getting at, the point that I want to make is that the women's reproduction and the control of women's bodies, this has been an issue that has been addressed not only in 1970s feminism, but also in science fiction of that time, 20th century science fiction, and what we see now again in 21st century science fiction being addressed once again. So then moving on to the Black Widow, how do these kind of issues manifest in the Black Widow movie? Well, as we find out at some point in the movie, uh, I just love Tom Hopper. <laughs> I didn't know he's in the movie, but when I saw him, I was like, hey, <laughs> you know, very fun, uh, well, very cool actor. And um, his role in the movie is quite fun, too. He's this like real dad, <laughs> such a dad. And um, he's also very uh, kind of, I don't know, a bit obnoxious. Uh, or maybe that's not the right word. I don't want to say like acting dumb, but he's... He's more like a brute. He's portrayed more for his physical strength and his, um, yeah, tact. He's not very tactful. So when the Black Widow and her sister rescue him, and they are a bit moody when they meet him because obviously there's some tension because he kind of abandoned them. <laughs> he asked them, oh, is it that time of the month? Like, oh, you know, are you on your period? Is that why you're moody? And... You know, that is such a sexist thing to say. Um, and men always say that when women or they seem to be emotional about something, even though they're not, you know, men say, oh, are you on your period? <laughs> you know, is it your special time? Is that why you're being moody? And um, then they really hit him back. They're like, oh, no, we don't have ovaries. We don't have wombs. We had forced hysterectomies when we were like teenagers, you know, because we became assassins. So we don't have um, any reproductive organs. You know, the Russians took it out of us. And they're kind of, you know, because he also worked for that organization. And <laughs> I don't know if he's completely ignorant of this, but... Um, they're like, no, we're we're not being emotional because of that. You ripped out our our womb, so we can't have children. We we don't have periods. So, and then he gets grossed out, and he's like, oh no, stop talking about that. And she's like, oh, you know, damn, I was just gonna get to the fallopian tubes. <laughs> so I found that conversation quite interesting because it reveals a lot about. Um, maybe in contrast to Ripley, that is forced to carry children or even though to carry aliens um how reproduction is kind of forced on her reproduction has been forcibly taken away from these female assassins from the black widow and from her sister so that's the first instance where this theme of the control of the female body really stood out for me and then of course there is the final scene where the black widow tries to um kill 
the the main guy, the bad guy, <laughs> the guy that did all of this to them and that kind of uses that mind control thing to control their bodies and their agency. And she can't kill him because he implanted some pheromone into his body that if they smell it, it makes it impossible for them to kill him. Now, that's pure science fiction. <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, if something like that could exist, um, that pheromone, as soon as they smell it, it makes it impossible for them to commit violence against him. So once again, we see how he controls the especially women around him. There aren't any other men around him. He's actually surrounded only by the female assassins. So while he can slap them around like he does with the Black Widow, he kicks and slaps her around, they can't do anything to him. So once again, we see that control, that, that male control over the female body, quite literally, actually. Um, but what I then liked is how the Black Widow takes back this control. She, so to explain, <laughs> apparently there's a nerve in there in your head that links to your sense of smell. So if you sever that nerve, then that pheromone doesn't affect you. So while he's kind of slapping her around, she keeps taunting him and he keeps punching her and kicking him. And that always makes me a bit uncomfortable in the movie because violence against women is such a big issue. And then we have this man slapping the Black Widow around. You know, I, I didn't like that. But then later you realize that she was doing that on purpose so that he can uh, hit her hard enough on her head so that that pheromone or that nerve snaps so that she's not affected by that pheromone. And then later, she actually does it herself because he didn't slap her hard enough. So she kind of bangs her head against the table and then that pheromone uh, stops affecting her and then finally she can actually kill him. So she quite literally <laughs> takes control over her own body again. And when I was, I got towards the end of the movie, I felt like, oh, wow, you know, the Black Widow... In this movie, she's portrayed as the savior of women <laughs> because she basically goes up there with her sister and they liberate all of these other widows, all of the other female assassins from the mind control that this guy has on them. So in a very nice scene towards the end, they do a whole, um, how can I say, the Black Widow... They, they have that face thing that makes your appearance look different. Um, it's some Avengers technology. I think it was in one of the earlier Avengers movies too, where um, it's like a very high-tech mask. So then she pretends to be her adoptive mother and her adoptive mother pretends to be her. So that's how she kind of sneaks into the, into the facility. So I really enjoyed that. I always love it when... Cross-dressing and when people <laughs> do like uh, uh, identity swap, like, because I never expected, because I'm so gullible, <laughs> like, I can never predict predict these things in movies. So I'm like, what? Oh my goodness, was that Black Widow all the time? <laughs> you know, it's very cool. Um, so in a very elaborate plot, they, they managed to free all of the other women. And then what I really loved is that then they help each other. And even the the guy's daughter that the Black Widow thought she she murdered in a bomb, 
he kind of also used that mind control on his daughter to make his daughter this really lethal killing machine. And she also frees his daughter from the mind control. And in the end, even though that daughter under his control is continually trying to kill the Black Widow. So not only is she portrayed as a very nice person <laughs> or a very good person, but um, she frees basically all the women under this guy's control, even his own daughter. She frees all of them. And at some point she says, you're free now. You know, you can do whatever you want to do. You're not under his control anymore. And of course, I might be reading too much into this, but you know, that is when we study representation, that's kind of what you do. But I really felt like this movie um, was a very implicit critique on women being controlled by patriarchy. You know, um, obviously it does it quite literally. It portrays this control quite literally and women's freedom quite literally, like literal mind control. But I think in a deeper level, uh, this movie, in terms of how it represents women, not only literally, but in terms of their body types, the type of outfits we see them, they are very much, I think, well, maybe it's premature to say liberated or completely freed from patriarchy, but the film really makes a very sincere attempt to to free these women from maybe patriarchal expectations of beauty, body ideals, all those types of things. So with that said, let me then on move on to the next topic, which is representation. Physically, how are they represented? So I remember in the earliest Avengers movies, they must have come out like years ago now. I can't even remember how old I was when I watched the first one. But in the earlier Avengers movies, you know, Scarlett Johansson, of course, she is a very ideal type of woman you know she really conforms to western standards of beauty she is very beautiful and attractive and her body is very um yeah she, she's got a very how can i say um is it hourglass shaped figure you know she has all the feminine signifiers so of course you know there is still that but what i what i noticed is that in throughout the Avengers movies, her outfits become progressively more, I wouldn't say androgynous, but more practical for an assassin. In the beginning, her outfits are a little bit skimpy. You know, we see kind of really low halter, uh, uh, what is it like, cat suit that she used to wear, to more warrior type outfits that really kind of covers her breasts that doesn't draw attention to her thin waist and her wide hips. We don't really see much of that as the Avengers movies progress. What I noticed about their outfits in this movie is that, you know, they do show a little bit of cleavage, but it's not over the top. You know, their outfits are still quite practical for assassins, I feel. And then, of course, also the Black Widow's sister. What I noticed, you know, her body type is not this... Um, tall, skinny, totally, uh, you know, hourglass shape, kind of like the Angelina Jolie type. But her sister is kind of shorter and she's really quite um, normal looking. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not saying that in any bad way. Um, I think it's a very positive thing to see women that actually look like actual people, <laughs> you know, not these idealized women that 
are totally unattainable. But, you know, a, a big character in the movie, a main character, you know, she, I felt like she, she represents, you know, a, a different or maybe not a different type of femininity, but, you know, a definitely a more attainable version of femininity. And they're both quite tomboyish too, which I also like to see. Um, the Natasha, when she's young, actually in the beginning, I thought it was a boy when we see her as a young girl with the blue hair, but then actually she's a girl. So, you know, they're quite tomboyish. They do kind of boyish things, you know, they're not girly girls. So I, um, I think this is definitely in line with a trend in representation where we see much more androgynous type of heroines. And I have talked about this in other episodes before too. We said, see that in the new version of Laura Croft in many Star Trek heroines from the more recent Star Trek movies. We are uh, not movies, sorry, series. And um, when we look at Mad Max, Furiosa, you know, all of these heroines have a similar type of look, you know, they're more androgynous, more attainable, more, uh, how can I say, even more masculine. So <laughs> there was this funny scene where the Black Widow's sister, she's like, why do you do that pose? <laughs> like you kind of like do this pose and then you flip your hair. You know, you're such a poser. <laughs> I thought that was quite funny. And then she's like, no, I'm not a poser. You know, um, I save people. <laughs> so she's very offended by that of course, but uh, that's also a critique on, you know, why do these heroines need to keep looking good all the time? They don't need to, you know, they're not here for our visual pleasure, but they are actually fighters and assassins. So that, I think, uh, the movie did quite well, and that was a very interesting change in representation that we saw in The Black Widow over the years, and now how she's finally portrayed in this last movie too. So then once again, that being said, a theme that also came up in the film is this notion of women working together, you know, sisterhood. And I think this is also a very, uh, maybe second wave, definitely third wave feminist uh, thing, you know, is the idea of sisterhood you know, women working together, women helping each other, not women being pitted against one another and always try to one-up each other, but women working together for the sake of womankind. So I found this very nice and very refreshing because like I have commented about Cruella in the Cruella episode and also on Raya when I did the episode on Raya and the Last Dragon, you can uh, listen to those episodes. They are there. I forgot the episode numbers, but they are there. You can find them. I commented on the fact that, and this is definitely a Disney trope because those are two Disney movies. And also in the Maleficent Mistress of Evil, this is definitely a Disney thing. They tend to pit women against each other. You know, there's always one good heroine and then one evil woman. And then usually the evil woman is older. So... What I've really liked then about Black Widow is that, you know, her sister finds her and then they work together. And then they also work together with their adoptive mother and also with their adoptive father. And they all help each other. And then, 
you know, when even when she meets the sister, the deadly sister, she helps her. <laughs> and then they help all the other women. So I really felt this very strong sense of sisterhood in the film and that, you know, these women aren't jealous of each other or trying to be better than one another or anything like that, but they're just sincerely trying to help each other to make it better for all other women in the world and for all the other black widows that have been unfortunate enough to be, you know, taken into this program that makes them into assassins and then being influenced by this mind control. So that was very nice and very refreshing and I think a very good thing to see. And I'm glad that that was one of the major themes of the film. Then, of course, um, there is Natasha's mother, the adoptive mother. So this was a very interesting twist. And this idea of motherhood is another trend that we see in contemporary action heroines. There's such an emphasis on their relationships with their mothers. So to briefly digress, if we just look at Star Trek in Star Trek Discovery, the main character, Michael Burnham, she literally has three mothers, <laughs> you know, adoptive mothers, one biological mother, of course, but many mother figures. And what we see happening here in the Black Widow movie is, first of all, that when Natasha talks to her adoptive mother, her adoptive mother, because she asks about her biological mother, so adoptive mother tells her, actually, you know, your biological mother is just like you, so relentless and so passionate and so fiery, you know, in their pursuit of the good. And, you know, just in terms of their personality, she inherited that from her mother. And there's no mention of her father. And this is a very old trope to suggest that Female heroes, like the old version of Laura Croft, that they in, they they receive their heroism or they inherit their heroism from their fathers. So then some theorists have argued that that really continues the patriarchal lineage. But, you know, that's that's obviously debatable. <laughs> I wouldn't say I agree or disagree with that. But what we see in The Black Widow is that she inherits her heroism from her mother. So there's an emphasis on motherhood and the mother's lineage instead of the father's lineage. And then also we see that she, when she talks to her adoptive mother, she says, you know, one thing you always taught me is that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And that has carried her through because her adoptive mother asks her, you know, how have you kept your heart all this time? How have you not lost yourself <laughs> in all of this? And she says, because you taught me that whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So again, we see a very positive representation of, you know, women not only helping each other, but also mother and daughter relationships, mother and daughter that inherit things from each other and that survive because of each other. So that was really beautiful for me to see too, especially because Disney keeps putting women against each other. It's always refreshing for me to see when that doesn't happen in a film. So yes, overall Black Widow, you know, in terms of women's representation, I think it is very progressive and I think they did a pretty good job at the ways in which women are represented in the film. 
One final thing that I might add, and um, I think this kind of goes without saying, you know, there are much more interesting things in the film than this. But, you know, once again, we see a female character who is not weak. You know, she's strong mentally, physically. She can take a punch. She can fight. She can kick. She can do everything that a male hero can do. So, unfortunately, many times, even though female heroes are portrayed in this light you know they are they are not weak they are not secondary they don't only talk about men um, many times they are sexualized and that kind of for me takes away from their progressive power but the black widow is not and neither are any of the other female characters in the film one last thing that uh, just popped up into my mind now I know she kind of has a romantic relationship later on within the Avengers, but in this film too, you know, there's not anything regarding um, a romantic relationship, you know, rather they focus on family relationships, which I think is, of course, also refreshing. You know, I really think maybe um, <laughs> the producers knew that or know that our audiences are becoming too smart for... <laughs> This age-old trope of, you know, the female hero having, uh, falling in love with someone, you know, there's no love story, which I liked, you know, it focused on the important things, which is freeing the woman and reconciling their dysfunctional adoptive family. So, yes, I think those are my final thoughts on the film. I would be interested to hear your thoughts on the film. I thoroughly enjoyed it and I highly recommend it. I think they did a very good job. It was a very nice movie, very entertaining, like I said. And overall, a very good watch and also very good in terms of women's representation or at least the representation of female heroism in a Western superhero movie. <laughs> right, so some maybe should we call this admin uh i have resurrected my blog so if you would like to read up more about these characters then head over there to my blog i plan to write a feminist review of the movie i'm gonna start doing reviews on my youtube channel as well comic book reviews because i finally have the time to do so so look forward to those you can subscribe to my youtube channel subscribe on spotify I'm also on Patreon and all those types of sites and uh, also on the blog, of course. So, yeah, please subscribe. Thank you so much for listening, as always. And I look forward to the next episode for next week. I hope you enjoy the Black Widow movie as much as I did. And I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. Thank you so much for listening once again, everyone. And then this is the Sci-Fi Feminist signing off until next week. Bye-bye. This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer, list other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Beyond Farpoint, a Star Trek The Next Generation podcast. It is one of Star Trek's best episodes, not just one of Q's best episodes, it's one of Star Trek's best episodes. Definitely. It adds some real interesting depth to not just Picard, but to that relationship between Picard and Q. I think that's the one thing yeah. that runs for all these episodes, even weaker ones like Hiding Q and Encounter at Farpoint. The best thing about Q is his relationship with Picard, which is why I'm so glad he's coming back in season two of Picard, because mm. Patrick Stewart and John Delancey play off each other so well.
Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Her First Trek, a Star Trek Preview Podcast. Anyway, they managed to save the day. <laughs> Spoiler. So after Kurt got beaten up by a bunch by, of kids. By a bunch of kids. They were smacking him with bats and he was like being hit by the crowd. I remember he stood up and there was blood coming out of every part of his head. He was bleeding from the ears. I mean, I'm no medical expert, but yeah. I'm fairly sure if you're bleeding from the ears after a blow to the head, you've got to seek some medical attention. Yeah, from the ears, from the you're back of his head. You're probably having some kind of hemorrhage. I feel like his eyeballs are probably bleeding. Those kids, I mean, I know kids don't listen. I know that. Yeah. First hand, you know that. They really didn't listen. No, this. I mean, this was. It was so frustrating as this a was really as a viewer. After the first lot, I would have phased the lot of them. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.